right, welcome. Episode five. Today I am going to be alone. Just me and the mic today. I want to explore and explain how to breathe. Now I'm kind of, uh, you know, I have a few notes in front of me, but I really want to just flow with this and um, see where I'm at in my ability to describe how to breathe, what's really going on physiologically. Uh, And I'm paying attention to how I'm breathing as I'm speaking, which is a new thing that I'm really, really looking into, paying attention to. So the first thing that I want to explore here is my history with breathing. And I knew for a long time that there has to be an optimal way to breathe. And I never really got a clear answer from anyone. It really was just about as long as you're getting air in and air out, you're fine. Uh, I heard the more oxygen, the better. You know, you're feeling exhausted. You need to breathe deeper. A lot of really well-intentioned cues and information that was missing um, some really important pieces of why and how and what's really going on physiologically. I even remember actually when I was playing basketball at San Diego State, we did some pretty intense training, as you can imagine, and we had a a trainer that um, often we would be outside on the football field doing sprints, and on several occasions, she would tell us to hold our breath as we sprint. And part of her reasoning was um, about altitude altitude training. So because we were at, um, at San Diego State, we're at sea level, and we would go off and play at cities that were much higher in altitude. So we wanted to make sure that our lungs were prepared. But because I didn't really understand, well, how is this training us for altitude and you know, how should I be feeling when I hold my breath? You know, when when should I release it? There was so many other pieces of what we were doing that was missing that my perspective of it was like, this is buffoonery. This uh, makes no sense. Uh, and if anything, it it just seemed really extreme and intense and and was just another, another reason why I... Um, ended up leaving actually after a year. I just, there were so many things that I wasn't well and uh, and to be able to really excel in an intense environment like that, I just was not capable at the time. So um, really since then, <laughs> you know, there's, as some of you might know, I've had a long history with mental health struggles and even being an elite athlete, it just seemed so bizarre for me that I could be such a, a high achieving person in many areas of my life and yet struggle so immensely at the same time. It was exhausting and frustrating and embarrassing. And, uh, you know, it, it, but it was exactly what I needed because going through these intense experiences made me realize that I need to figure this stuff out. I need to stop pointing my finger and blaming others or, you know, waiting for information to fall on my lap. Like, I I need to take control. I need to figure this out for myself. I need to understand it. I need to do the research. So 10 to 12 years of uh, doing research, figuring it out, a lot of it was very pragmatic of just what should I be thinking about? What are the routines I need to be doing? When I notice this type of thought, how can I shift it? What's a good reminder I can use when I'm feeling this state? 
And what I realized after the fact was that this was all top-down information. This was all about the ability to notice and make a change. And what was missing for a long time was the power and importance of bottom-up. So I knew breath was important, obviously. You know, we need to breathe. And I took so many different yoga teacher trainings and was in workshops and different experiences where breath was always a part of it. We always talked about breathing and different breathing exercises and how to upregulate when you're feeling really low, how to downregulate when you're feeling too activated. So this was a multi-layered research experience to understand the breath. It is complex. And the final piece of the puzzle seems to have slid in place in the last couple of months. Uh, I've mentioned a few times now on previous episodes of this season about CO2 tolerance. And the more I'm practicing this and reading about it and sharing it, the more I'm recognizing that this is vital information that the world needs to understand. And as I mentioned before, I had heard about CO2 tolerance, but it just didn't compute. I didn't understand. It didn't make sense. And part of it was because it was completely counter to what I believed about breath, whether that was conscious in the moment or unconscious. I had this belief that breathing is about oxygen, which is true, but it's not the whole truth. So what we need to understand here is that carbon dioxide is not just a waste product. Yes, we're breathing it out. Too much of anything is no longer a good thing. Yet CO2 is necessary for us to actually utilize the oxygen that's in our blood. So let's see if I can describe this scientifically, and I will add corrections later on if I'm off, but this is where I'm at right now. So blood saturation level of oxygen generally sits around 95 to 99%, okay? So we have a lot of oxygen in our body. Of course, there are gonna be outliers. If you are someone who has a condition that you know your breathing is off or your body is you know, changing the levels of oxygen or CO2, um, know that this is for the general population, okay? So we have more than enough oxygen in our body for the most part. And again, this is speaking to sea level as well. So this is, it, can, it changes when we move up higher into altitude, oxygen levels are lower. So right now I'm speaking about sea level. You're at sea level, you're breathing normally, you have 95 to 99% of oxygen in your blood at this time, okay? CO2 is something that is created in the cell as a part of um, metabolizing in the cell. So as things are working inside your body, CO2 is created as the technically the waste product of whatever system um, is operating, okay? So as we exhale, we're just exhaling out the um, excess CO2. And there's always gonna be a little bit of CO2 left in the body. So ideally we want around 5% CO2 in the blood. And what that does is it makes it so that the oxygen can actually be absorbed into the body. So CO2 in your blood dilates the um, blood cells, the airways, the uh, air walls, makes them more expansive so the oxygen can move uh, more efficiently, more freely, 
and can absorb into the muscles and organs and the cells, okay? If we do not have enough CO2, then there's some constriction happening. So much constriction that actually the oxygen can stick to the blood cell wall. So you can still have 95 to 99% of oxygen in your blood, yet if your CO2 is lower than 5%, you're not going to absorb that oxygen at the rate you could be. So some of the symptoms or results of this is lethargy, um, poor sleep, poor focus, depression, anxiety, uh, and the list goes on. There's actually a crazy amount of potential symptoms or illnesses that can happen that seem seemingly disconnected, yet they're all related to this balance of oxygen and CO2. So in, I believe it was 1902, there was a, um, a man named uh, Dr. Bohr, and he came up with um, this understanding of, of CO2 and oxygen, and he calls it the Bohr effect. So this has been known for a long time, but we just didn't fully, I guess, understand the way that this is impacting us in each breath. So another thing to understand is that we also have nitric oxide in our nostrils. And when we are just breathing through our nose in a slow, soft, quiet manner, we're actually giving that nitric oxide more time and space to move into our body. And the results and impacts of this nitric oxide is tremendous. Not only does it clear out plaque within the body, it, um, it supports the health, the functioning of our entire body. Okay, so obviously I, I I don't want to get too technical because I, I am still a novice when it comes to this stuff. This is something that I'm absorbing and learning and practicing right now. And each time I bring it up, I, I do want to be more technical and, and share more information. But right now, it's really about this base understanding of how to breathe. So breathing through our nose makes it so that there is a contained flow of air. So if you breathe through your mouth, you can bring in more oxygen and you can expel more carbon dioxide. But now we have this deeper understanding that that's not a good thing. Soft, gentle breathing is bringing in more than enough oxygen. So in general, even at rest, you breathe in. As you exhale, you're actually exhaling about 75% of the oxygen you just inhaled because the saturation of oxygen in your blood is already at a pretty high level. So it's not like you're at zero and every time you take a breath in, you're bringing in the oxygen you need. No, the oxygen's pretty steady. Our breath is what allows it to keep moving so oxygen can be absorbed and utilized as new oxygen comes in and takes the place of what was just absorbed, keeping it at 95 to 99%. So taking a deep breath in suddenly or thinking that, you know, I just need more oxygen at this point when you're at sea level, you know, the chances are you don't need more oxygen but what you need is actually more CO2. Because again, you can have all the oxygen you need, and if you do not have the CO2, your body doesn't get the oxygen. So it creates this feeling like, oh, I'm just not getting enough oxygen, I'm not getting enough air. But we need to understand that it's the opposite. We need more CO2. So as we know, as we, uh, our body is metabolizing, CO2 is created, and then the exhale is how we remove the excess CO2 from our body. 
So if you hold your breath, it allows the CO2 to start to climb. Of course, simultaneously as you're holding your breath, the oxygen that's saturated in the blood starts to drop down because it's being utilized and you're not bringing in more oxygen. So slowly the CO2 rises and the oxygen lo lowers. Now there will be a point where you feel starved for air. That air hunger becomes more and more intense the longer you hold your breath. The important piece to understand here is that we want to be gentle as we expand our ability to tolerate more CO2. So an important thing to understand here is that for many of us who have been chronic overbreathers, and this is me along with many other people, breathing more than necessary, breathing quicker than necessary, and breathing through the mouth more than necessary. Uh, what that does is it actually creates a false equilibrium because our body starts to adjust and associate based on what it's receiving. So after a few days of over-breathing, the body becomes more sensitive to CO2. And so even when we start bumping that CO2 back up to the healthy, normal level of 5%, for someone who chronically overbreathes, the body is going to see that signal as danger and signal the breath to start breathing quicker again or take longer exhales or yawn or cough or sigh to do something to expel that CO2 out. So this amazing wise system of our body is actually becoming maladaptive in that it's, it's causing you to unconsciously release the CO2 that your body actually needs. So when you can understand that, if you're someone that has been struggling a lot with depression, anxiety, uh, you know, anything in that realm of mental health afflictions, this is something that is free and accessible and is going to make a huge impact on how you feel and your energy levels. So this is what we do to um, increase our CO2 tolerance is in your deliberate breath practice. So let's imagine that you're sitting down in the morning. You find your comfortable seat. Lay on your back or you're leaning against a wall. Close your eyes. And first, just notice your breath. Okay, keep your mouth closed. First few breaths might be really deep. We want to ensure that we're breathing from the belly. It's not chest. You're not lifting your shoulders with each inhale. So you're letting go of any tension in the belly. So with your inhale, the belly expands. And on your exhale, there's a contraction, a softness. So as you do that, doing a few breaths like that, we then want to shorten the breath. So on each inhale, you're not going to breathe as deep. On each exhale, you're not going to exhale all the way out. You might even stop before you're fully empty. And you're going to do that until you find that sweet spot of air hunger. And the key here is to make sure that you're not bracing. This is, you can't speed up the process of increasing your CO2 tolerance. And the way that I'm understanding this now is that this is how we can make sure that we're avoiding the, the potential toxic states of hypoxia or, oh shoot, what's the other one, hypercapnia. So too low of oxygen or too high of CO2. So this is one of the things that often was brought up as I was doing these different breath workshops or trying holotropic breathing, um, shamanic breathing. Like there's so many different ways to breathe. And when I would explain it to 
someone who's not well versed in it, um, I would often get the pushback of, oh, but you have to be careful. You know, you don't want too much CO2 or you don't want your oxygen to get too low. And, you know, I knew that was important, but I also had such profound, amazing experiences in these breath technique practices that, you know, really when you look at how we're breathing, you'd be like, well, is that hyperventilation? Like, am I actually doing damage to my body? And, and it, it, it created this really weird space for me to understand, like, what's too much? What's not enough? Where's that line? And, and so what I've landed on for this is to make sure that, like, everything else I do now in practice, this is about finding your edge and a gentle, patient, soft nudge past it. So the difference would be if you sat down to do your breath work and you landed on a number that you wanted to hold your breath for, so say it was 20 seconds, you take those slow breaths, you start slowing your breath down, and then on an exhale, you just pause and hold. And say, for this example, you were set on the number 20, it's 20 seconds. And by the time you got to 10 seconds, you started no noticing like an extreme hunger for air. If you stayed committed to 20 seconds and you started bracing and squeezing and holding on to it, in my mind, that's the difference of creating a toxic state versus slowly expanding your tolerance in a healthy and real way. So this is a very unique and personalized practice for each person because no one can tell you the number you need to be at. This is about really tuning in to where you are at currently. How hungry for air am I when I hold my breath? How long does it take? So in all this research that I've been doing, there's, there is this important test of seeing how long you can hold your breath without that air hunger. And that gives you your baseline number that you can keep coming back to and checking to see if it's getting longer. If the number is less than 20 seconds that you can hold your breath without extreme air hunger, then this is showing a very low tolerance for CO2 and extreme necessity that you start practicing and expanding increasing your CO2 tolerance. For people who have really low CO2 tolerance, they run out of breath quickly. It's harder to exercise. It's harder to lose weight. You're going to be sick more often. You're going to feel more tense, more stressed, maybe quicker to react. Everything goes haywire because we need to be able to bounce between different levels of CO2 and oxygen so we can notice and regulate ourselves instead of having this short tolerance where a little bit of a change just makes you flip your lid. How exhausting is that to constantly have to catch yourself, bring yourself back, apologize to people, or go put yourself in a timeout because you can't handle what's happening around you. If you're not balanced internally, good luck handling anything that feels imbalanced externally. It always starts with that internal balance. So these are the practices that you can do. In your morning breath technique, your breath practice, you need to slow your breath down, breathing only through your nose, softening the belly so you can feel that expansion and contraction. The diaphragm becomes more pliable and loose, ability to move with more ease. So there's two different ways you can take this, and, and I really encourage you to do the research Look at the different patterns and templates for breathing, practice them, and then find what works for you. Okay? That's really what I'm seeing now, all these different breath techniques. They're just someone who really understood the breath, found a pattern that worked for them, branded it, and then said, here you go, world, here's a new way to breathe. And it can create a lot of confusion 
because now it's like, okay, there's so many different ways to breathe. Which one's the right way? And the important thing to understand is that there's many ways to breathe, but you want to understand why and where you are at right now so that you can know what breath techniques are actually going to help you expand your window of tolerance and increase your CO2 tolerance. So creating that air hunger is really important. Slowing your breath down, breathing through your nose, and again, ensuring that you're not getting to the point where you're starving for air and that your breath becomes really irregular. If you have to take a breath where all of a sudden it's like, <sighs> or like really jagged, then you know, okay, I've pushed a little too far. We need this to be a soft rhythm, a gentle air hunger. And in the research, it's showing that anywhere between, well, the numbers have been a little bit changing, um, but I think a good place to go is 10 minutes. If you can stay in this steady, gentle air hunger state for 10 minutes, that starts to reset the respiratory center to increase the CO2 tolerance. Over time, you do these little stints of air hunger, your CO2 tolerance increases so that you are able to hold your breath for longer without freaking out or your body thinking that it's gone into a toxic state. So the other thing that you can do is practice breath holds. And what I'm finding as I'm looking at all the different ways people are breathing with breath holds is that it really is about rhythm. Okay? So finding a rhythm that works for you. And what we want to do is breathe gently through the nose and then find the rhythm. Maybe it's every second breath or every minute. Whatever it is, you allow a couple gentle, regular breaths. And then at the bottom of an exhale, hold your breath and wait until that air hunger starts to build a little bit. Again, we don't want to be extreme. You just want to feel it. Know that you just found your edge and you're just gently nudging it a little bit further so that when you take the next breath in, it's not extreme. It's not this um, really deep need for an inhale. One of the analogies I've been using is like if you're playing volleyball in slow motion. So as the volley or as the ball comes towards you, you want to catch it on your wrists and slowly meet the, the weight of the ball. So you drop down with it and then you push it back up so it bounces off as you're passing to someone. Okay, that's how I like to think about my breath now is that there's this contained power. And I don't want it to be erratic. If that ball's coming quick, I need to be able to catch it, slow it down, get control, and move it back up. Okay, so that's the way you can think about the inhale and the exhale is I want that smooth transition. And then when I hold my breath, I want to relax around the stillness. So I don't want to brace. I don't want to create tension. I, I really want to be able to relax so that I can feel that air hunger start to build, nudge it a little further, and then allow that breath to move in and out again. So these are great things to be doing on a daily basis to retrain your body to recognize that CO2 is more than okay. It's necessary. And I can tell you from personal experience of doing this breath technique, this practice now for over a month, I feel like my energy is more sustainable. The shutdown response that I've talked about on this uh, podcast several times, it is starting to dissolve. It used to be this pattern every day by about two or three o'clock, I could start feeling my body start to shut down. And now that I know how to breathe, I'm paying attention to it. 
it's changed everything. Higher levels of energy. I'm more aware. I'm more conscious. I'm more patient. I'm more present. I'm feeling myself get triggered. I'm calling myself out. I'm pointing it out. My relationship with my husband is getting stronger. It's just so many amazing positive effects. And because of the time we're in right now, this pandemic, we need to strengthen our immune system. It's all about your breath. We have this innate power to heal and grow and to move through life's ups and downs. When you can hold the hand of your breath and truly understand the power of this tool. Again, it is free. It's in you already. It is an amazing tool to cultivate. So a couple of the other things that really stood out to me in, in what I'm learning is, again, the importance of just breathing through your nose and also how that's not possible for a lot of people at this time. One of the research pieces I read recently said that approximately 75% of the population has a noticeable deviated septum, meaning it is visible to the naked eye. And if you have a, a deviated septum, obviously that's closing the airways a little bit, um, and or a lot potentially. And that also because of chronic breathing through our mouth, um, as a child, if you are breathing through your mouth, it changes the shape of your face and it draws the chin in and that also cuts off the airways even more. So in buteco technique, they have a few different um, practices you can do to unblock the airways. So basically the, the modus operandi here is use it or lose it. If you are someone who has been breathing through your mouth consistently for a long time, it might feel like I can't breathe through my nose. It's impossible. I have to keep breathing through my mouth. And that might be true right now. And it's okay. Obviously, you need to breathe. You need to breathe through your mouth if that's the only option you have. But there are ways that you can train your nasal airways to open. And it's not just surgery. For some people, surgery is the best option. But I would always recommend, well, try just retraining your body first and see how that goes. So check out Buteco Technique. If you go on YouTube, they're gonna, there's lots of different videos of different um, really cool ways that you can look into opening your airways. Buteco is B-U-T-E-Y-K-O. Patrick McEwen is a big proponent of Buteco. He studied under Dr. Buteco, started his own um, clinic, and for over 25 years has been teaching people how to breathe. He has many books. I'm reading book number two right now of his, uh, and it's fascinating, amazing research in there, lots of tools of how to breathe, so I highly recommend you check that out. Some other resources to check into would be Brian McKenzie. He has a website called Shift and uh, an app called State. So if you look him up on YouTube or type him into Google and see what pops up for him, they have a, a, a company where they're teaching people how to breathe. So you can go to workshops, you can find videos of theirs online, and um, he's on a lot of different podcasts as well. So if you love listening to podcasts, definitely type out his name and see what you can find. Uh, James Nestor is another uh, amazing advocate for proper ways to breathe. I first discovered James Nestor uh, maybe six months ago where I was listening to a podcast and he was talking about his new book called Breath. And he also mentioned that the reason why he got into it was because he, well, he's a journalist and he wrote, uh, well, he was studying 
deep sea divers, free divers. And he wrote a book called Deep. And it was just all about this world of free diving, the extreme <laughs> of free diving, and how these amazing athletes were able to hold their breath for upwards of eight minutes, and that there's um, history into free diving that's showing people holding their breath for upwards of 11 minutes. And so not only did he become fascinated with the world of free diving, but it also made him very intrigued about the breath. And that sent him on this next expedition to study how to breathe, find the science, the history on it. And uh, so I'm that book's in the mail right now. I'm waiting for that to come as I finish The Oxygen Advantage by P Patrick McEwen. So there, there's a lot of information out there. Uh, it really is just about knowing where to look and who to listen to. So I highly encourage you to do your own research. If you are looking for resources, want support, reach out to me. I've already been coaching for um, six years. And a lot of it, uh, well, the last two years has been a lot of bottom up, working with embodiment, developing higher levels of awareness, um, moving in to meet sensation and be with it instead of reacting from it. And breath has, of course, been a big part of that because it's about creating safety. But now that I have this deeper understanding of how to breathe, and what we're actually trying to do with breath holds and what kind of signals you might be noticing and, and this test to really gauge where someone's at right now, where their baseline is, which then gives you um, the information you need of, okay, what are the next steps? This has really expanded what I'm doing as a coach and uh, I'm just thrilled to, to share this information, to continue learning, continue practicing uh, so that I can be a conduit of, of this breath science in this world. We are immensely capable, and I'm, I'm just excited to see what, what this world would look like when it's full of people who know how to breathe, who know how to regulate themselves, who know how to tap into their innate power, who know how to watch their own triggers and reactions, and every time they find themselves pointing their finger outward to go, oh, and point the finger back in. It's always about yourself, what's going on you, inside of you, right? It's, it's such a, a beautiful way to live. You know, anytime that I, I feel like I'm blaming someone, it, it, to me it's always like, oh, what's going on inside of me? What wound was just touched? Why am I being defensive? You know, why am I avoiding? What's going on? There's so much to uncover and unveil and unravel and rebuild. And that's what I'm all about. So if any of this was unclear, if any of it didn't make sense, um, if there are any gaps in what I just shared, please let me know. Um, that will really help me make sure that I'm able to um, articulate this in a way that makes sense and uh, gets you excited to breathe. I want you to be in awe of your breath and to be patient as you slowly expand your window of tolerance and increase your CO2 tolerance. So thanks for listening. I hope that was informative. Please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. And until next time, see you later. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on social media at Dopamine, that's D-O-P-E-A-M-E, or on my website under that same title, dopamine.com. Please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And do not hesitate to reach out if you have questions or comments. 
I would love to hear what you want to learn more about. So until next time, love big and play big. Peace.